0: Start with a question this morning. When you think about greatness, who comes to mind? When you think about greatness, who comes to mind? Who is great in your eyes? I had fun talking with different people about this over the last couple of weeks. I asked my wife and started describing, and I said, I think you're just talking about a great guy. I mean, like greatness, okay? Greatness. My My kids said Elsa and Chewbacca, predictably, okay? But uh, who is it for you? You know, maybe it's an athlete that first comes to mind when you think about greatness or it's a politician or a historical figure, maybe the queen, right, Queen Elizabeth. Uh, It could be an artist or an author, you know, Shakespeare or Dante, a poet. Maybe a fictional character, right, like my kids. Or for me, it's the great Albus Dumbledore. That's who comes to mind when I think about greatness. Um, Maybe it's someone you actually know. Someone you know and you love. I can't believe I didn't think about C.S. Lewis. I'm looking at some of my C.S. Lewis fans in here, I'm like, C.S. Lewis, great, yes. right? Maybe it's someone you actually know, someone you love, someone maybe you even fear. Uh, another way to get at it is like, who do you, you know, maybe you wouldn't tell anyone, but envision trading lives with? Who do you envision trading lives with? Right? And it may not even be someone you admire. It may be someone you despise, you know? It could be Tom Brady, right? <laughs> We're going to kick his butt today. Yeah, we are. Okay, right? The GOAT, you know, the greatest of all time. And you're like, he just got put in the right system, you know, and if I were him, I would have known when to retire, and I would have screwed things up with Giselle. It's like, why are you getting so worked up, man? You know, it's like, because he's great in your eyes, you know, even if you don't like him. Who do you pay attention to, you know? Who captivates you? Who draws your eyeballs? Who... Who do you maybe even dress like, you know, even if you won't admit it? Maybe you're one of those people that you're like, I wouldn't trade places with anyone. I'm pretty great. You know what? Uh, you're, you're difficult to be around, okay? <laughs> oh, there's, it's called arrogance, all right? Uh, there's, there's hope for you too, though, okay? We'll get there. So during the Advent season, we celebrate the arrival, celebrate the birth of the greatest person who has ever lived, the God-man Jesus Christ. There's really no debate around that. Um, Greatest man who has ever lived, and we look forward to his second advent. Uh, Advent means arrival or coming, so his second coming, the return of King Jesus. And Jesus had some pretty surprising things to say about greatness, didn't he? Some strange things to say about greatness. Uh, Do you remember who he said the greatest man who had ever lived up until that point was? Anyone remember? John the Baptist, yeah. His preacher cousin. Really? You know, John the Baptist out there in the wilderness preaching, telling people to repent, the greatest man who had ever lived up until that point? I mean, greater than Noah, who like saved the human species, you know? Greater than moses greater than david greater than solomon who built the temple greater than isaiah greater than alexander the great you know greater than caesar john the baptist what a strange thing to say but then he said something even stranger didn't he He said the one who's least in the kingdom of god the least among jesus followers is greater than john and he said many more things. He says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, what do you need to do? You need to become the least. You need to become as one who serves. You need to take last place. And then he said, his followers will do even greater things than he did. Wait a minute. Isn't this the man who walked on water and conquered death? (laughs) What? What? Strange words, strange teachings, from Jesus about greatness, but Jesus talked a lot about greatness, talked a lot about greatness because he knew that greatness captivates us, greatness captivates us. I know that I'm not yet a great preacher because some of y'all still fall asleep, okay? I see your closed eyes and you're yawning, wake up, okay? <laughs> greatness draws our attention for better or worse, and Often, in this world, it's for the worst, is it not? Right? We become spectators of others' greatness. We become lost each election cycles, captivated by promises of national greatness, right? We become spectators. We become lost just scrolling from highlight to highlight of the great Stephen Curry, who is pretty great. Or through Pinterest boards, you know, just scrolling through the next great recipe, or the great bathroom design, you know, (laughs) great outfit, or through Instagram stories of our friends, great vacations until we forget that we have been called to become great ourselves. We have been called, commanded even, given the right, as our text says today, to become great in the kingdom of heaven that will outlast and finally triumph over every political reign or sports dynasty. And one day we will see those things for the paltry and insignificant things that they are. I want to shake us, right, out of our stupor this morning and put before our eyes the greatest thing in the world. The greatest thing in the world, and it's the truth that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has given us the right to become like him. He's given us the right, as our text says this morning, the authority to become children of God. So let's read verses 6 through 8 of our text today. Remember verse 5, it goes, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He, that's John the Baptist, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. I've always thought this was like a little funny, you know, when you read it. I mean, John just opens at this majestic, like cosmic level. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Oh yeah, and there was a guy named John. Anyway, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We're like, what's John doing in there, you know? This bearded guy barging in. What's he doing there? There's a lot we could say about this, but remember, we don't appreciate the greatness of John the way Jesus did. John was great. God was up to something in the ministry of John the Baptist. The word of God was in John's mouth. Twice, twice in the book of Acts, if you remember, we meet disciples of Jesus And all they knew was John's preaching. Think about that for a moment. It's really funny. In chapter 19, Paul comes across some disciples of Jesus, and he's like, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. (laughs) They only knew, they didn't know anyone died, anyone rose from the dead, and yet they were disciples of Jesus. John was a preacher. He was a good preacher, right? All they knew was John's preaching. John was a big deal, right? Um, The historian Josephus, the, um, the great Jewish historian who wrote decades later after the fall of Jerusalem, he spilled a ton of ink about John the Baptist. And did you know he had like a footnote for Jesus of Nazareth? It was like, oh yeah, he had a little following and, and was crucified. That's it. John was great, man. People wanted to go to John. People wanted to be like John, like 90s kids in America wanted to be like Mike. Okay, They they wanted to be like John, or they wanted to kill John. John was a lightning rod in his time. I'm trying to think, maybe the only American comparison to John the Baptist, to who he was to Jews at the time and decades after, is maybe Martin Luther King Jr. John was a big deal. John was great. And I realize in my own preaching, I've done John a disservice. I'm always talking about John like he's this, you know, Timon and Pumbaa guy out there eating bugs in the wilderness, you know? He's just like some Hakuna Matata hippie guy, you know? Repent and be baptized, you know? It's like, that's not John, okay? John was the last in like a thundering line of Old Testament prophets. He was the opening act to the Messiah. John was great. John was a celebrity. John was a light. John was a luminary, but... Think about it. John needs to make clear that John the Baptist was not the light. He was not the light. His job was only to bear witness, to shed light on the true light that all might believe in the name of Jesus Christ. John was great in the same way that the Gospel of John is great literature. It's great literature. But if you come away from this uber-long series on the Gospel of John, you're like, that was great literature. That's all you get. You don't come away believing in Jesus Christ. You miss the point, right, of the gospel of John. John was great. Jesus was and is greater, and we can become greater than John, according to Jesus. And we'll come back to that. Let's read verses 9 through 11. The true light, who's that? Jesus, not John. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, that's Jesus, he was in the world. The one that created the world was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him, didn't recognize him. He came to his own Israel. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So Jesus, John says, is the true light john likes to use this word true in this way Uh, throughout the gospel if you read it he talks about the true light the true worshipers who will worship god in spirit and in truth the true bread from heaven jesus right the true vine even the true god jesus is the true light right there are many lights many prophets, many truth-tellers, many great ones that captivate us and draw our attention, but Jesus, John wants us to know, is the light. He is the revelation of who God is. He is the God-man, and so he is the revelation of who God is, and thus also who we are. John is the true light that sheds light on all people, which doesn't mean he gives us enlightenment. It means he exposes us. He sheds light on us, and for that very reason, John says, Jesus was rejected, wasn't he? Jesus was rejected. Why? Well, John makes it abundantly clear. Chapter 3, you know the verse. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. He gave the light. Verse 17 goes on to say, That he gave the light, why? To condemn the world? To judge the world? No, right? To save, good, yes, to save the world. And then John goes on, verses 19 and 20, which we have on the screen, verses 19 and 20. And this is the judgment. We love talking about that, right? God's judgment. This is what John says about God's judgment. The light has come into the world, but this is the judgment. People love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Do you remember the uh, story, 2018? got a picture of it here. It's those 12 Thai boys and their soccer coach. You remember that? Um, they were playing in a cave after soccer practice, and they got lost, and then the cave flooded, um, and so they had to go deeper and deeper into the cave. Um, So here's a picture of when they were found, and I have a, um, if you haven't seen the documentary or the movie, by the way, oh my gosh, make the time. It's an incredible story of rescue. Um, I have a, a silly, obvious question. Why did the search party bring lights? To find them and save them. Yeah, exactly, right? But imagine if, like, some of the boys, you know, maybe those on the left, right? Some of the boys were so ashamed that they had gotten lost and they were scared they were going to get in trouble. That when the light came, they fled deeper into the cave and they're like, no, we're going to find our own way out. And they died. Well, then the light, right, would have been a judgment even if its purpose was to save. Such is our situation, John says. Jesus is a floodlight. Jesus is a searchlight. His purpose is not to condemn you. His purpose is to seek and to save the lost, like those boys in the cave. But light inevitably exposes us, right? Even in ways we would prefer not to be seen. You might say that his greatness exposes our lack. The greatness of Jesus exposes our weakness and our wickedness. Like many great artists, Jesus was misunderstood. Jesus was rejected in his own time, or perhaps he was understood too well. He came to his own home, John says, his own family, and was killed by his own brothers like Joseph. He was killed by his own brothers. Why, John says, because they were envious of him. The light was smothered. By the darkness. And the greatest one who has ever lived was not received as great, was not recognized as great. But, and there's a big but in our text that comes next, okay? So let's read that. That's not the end of the story. Verse 12 But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right. To become children of God. Delegated authority, that's what that word means. The right, the authority to become children of God, who were born, okay, born to be children of God, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So if you keep reading chapter 12, which we've been in before in this series, uh, the turning point of John's gospel, Jesus. Is thoroughly rejected by his own people, by Israel, by its leader. Some believe in him, but they like the glory that comes from people more than the glory that comes from God, and so they won't confess it. So Jesus is rejected thoroughly by his own people. He's even betrayed by one of his own disciples, Judas. But then what's the next scene? The upper room. Right? Jesus is not quite alone there's still some there's some remnants there's some leftovers right there's Jesus inner circle of disciples they received Jesus they believed in the name of Jesus even if their faith is going to falter and fail to show that they need the holy spirit john says to those imperfect little ones those fearful men those failures who clung to them by a shred of faith, Jesus gave the greatest thing in the world. In fact, it's a gift that is not even of this world. He gave them the right to become children of God. And that's where we're going to camp out this morning. We're going to start and we're going to talk about how we become children of God. But then we're going to reflect on this great truth. You and I, you and I, have been given the right to to become children of God. We have been given the right, you might say, to become what we truly are in Jesus Christ, which is greater than anything we would fantasize about in our wildest imagination becoming. It's greater than that. Amen. But first, the how. How do we become children of God? How do we get born to become children of God? Well, John says it's not by blood. Okay? It's not a blood relation. It's not a blood relation. It's not by the will of the flesh, and it's not by the will of man. Did you know? Did you know that ancient people actually knew where babies came from? They knew that. It's funny, it's like we think our parents are more of prudes than us. Like we just imagine that naturally. So they just got different words for the things, okay? Ancient people knew where babies came from. They knew everyone is blood related to someone, okay? Even if you're adopted, you have parents, right? Your blood related to someone. Even if you're an orphan, you have parents. Your blood related to someone. And it happened in one of two ways. The first way, John says, happened by the will of the flesh. (laughs) Two people, their desires got the better of them, and they were not too careful, okay? And we have a baby, all right? The will of the flesh, that's one way it happens, or preferably in that time. And in most times, and throughout history, it happened by the will of a man, or as the NIV puts it, a husband's decision, okay? The baby was wanted. But here's the thing, whether it's an accident or a plan, babies are all born the same way. Even with our modern technology, C-section, IVF, whatever, all of it flesh and blood, gives birth to flesh and blood, okay? Flesh and blood gives birth to flesh and blood. But John says that is not how we become children of God. That's not how we become children of God, and it's not how we grow as children of God. And this means, something offensive in our day and age, that not everyone is a child of God. Not everyone is a child of God. We are born directly of God. That's what John says in verse 13. Born of God. We are born directly of God. There's no intermediary. Okay, we are not God's grandbabies. Okay? We are children of God. Spirit gives birth to spirit as blood gives birth to blood. And the rest of John and the rest of the New Testament are just going to make this abundantly clear. What is it? It's the presence of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives that makes us a child of God. In fact, the, the sexual metaphor actually continues in 1 John and 1 Peter. It says that it's through the seed... You know the Greek word for seed? Sperma, okay? It's through the sperma, the seed of the word of God. The word of God that the Holy Spirit comes through the word and gets into us and causes us to be born again to eternal life, right? We are just biology. We're just natural life. But the word of God gets inside of us and we become Zoe, okay? Spiritual life. God's eternal life gets into us, So we become children of God, not the old-fashioned way, but through hearing God's word with faith, as you're hearing this morning. You are hearing God's word, and I pray it's with faith. We receive the Holy Spirit, you might say. We receive the Holy Spirit through the word as a woman receives a man. And this is why John the Baptist says, Jesus is so much greater than him or any preacher, any pastor, right? John says, I just immerse you in water. He immerses you in the Holy Spirit. He immerses you in fire. He immerses you in the life of God. I prepare you to receive him. He gives you the right, the authority to become children of God. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that takes away your sin and gives you the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus, and that's how. That's how, right? So not everyone is a child of God, but here's the thing. This is the good news. Anyone. No matter your past, no matter how much faith you have, even if it's a little tiny, tiny, tiny bit, anyone can become a child of God by believing, by receiving the word of God about Jesus. Receiving the word of God about Jesus. That's how. But let's talk more about being a child of God and growing as a child of God. Um, I, had, I had a fun time, just like, I searched the word children in my Bible app in the New Testament I just looked up every every time we see the word children. And it was so rich. Children of God. Children of the devil. Children of the light and the day. Children of the dark and the night. Children of the promise. Children of the slave women. Children, slave woman. Children of wrath, right? All sorts of references. Very rich. And I want to share in just a moment three of those very rich, meaty texts with you this morning. Um, but I don't want us to get lost and miss the most obvious point, right? We sing about being a child of God every time, and it can become this, like, sappy, foofy thing, okay? I want to make something very clear. Jesus is the true child of God, okay? Jesus is the true child of God. He is the Son of God, born, not made, right? Born in the womb of the Virgin Mary. We are children of God when we receive the Spirit of Jesus Christ, Right, the, the Holy Spirit. And then we walk by the Spirit to become like Jesus, to become mature children of God. What's our mission statement here at VCC? It's to make, mature, and mobilize apprentices of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. Well, what are we apprenticing Jesus in? Carpentry? No. Plumbing? No. We are apprenticing Jesus and becoming children of God, becoming increasingly marked by his peace, his power, his confidence, his joy, his gratitude, his great sacrifice. Apprenticeship to Jesus is learning to be a child of God, it's it's the process of becoming who we already are. Let me give you an an analogy here that I really like. Uh, How do you become a British royal? Okay, condolences out to the English soccer team lost yesterday. How do you become a British royal? There's two ways. Tryouts? No, right? You got to be born a royal, right? That's one way. Or you can marry into the family. That's it. As far as I know, those are the two ways in to becoming a royal. You can't be royal but by birth or marriage. And you might say, those two things give you the right, the authority... To be a royal, and you are then a royal, but let's say you marry in or you're born, you still have a long road ahead of you, don't you? Because you got to learn now to behave like a royal, act like a royal, right? Be a true royal, and it might be an awkward process like the movie Princess Diaries, okay? It might be an awkward process, or it might not end well, you know, you might end up on Oprah, okay? Like Meghan Markle, all right? And Harry or whatever. Uh, right? So it's, that's not the point. The point is it's becoming who you are by birth. But in, in the Bible, it's becoming royal. It's becoming a child of God, not by birth, but by new birth. New birth in the Holy Spirit. So let's look at some scriptures. to paint a fuller picture here. What does it mean to become great? The right to become the greatest thing, a child of God. The right to become our true selves in Christ. To become saints and walk in his peace and power and joy and purpose and confidence. We're going to read some long pieces of scripture. You ready for that this morning? Okay. Paul said to Timothy to devote yourself to the public reading of God's word. That's what we're going to do. Okay. So follow along. This is 1 John 2, 28. We're going to have it on the screen. And we're going to read all the way to chapter 3, verse 11. First John is so good. Read it this week. All right. All right. First John. And now, he's writing to his congregation, John, he says, and now little children abide in Jesus so that when Jesus appears, second advent, when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that Jesus is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. I love this verse. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Wow. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. But we know... or, sorry? He says, Beloved, we are, see that? We are royal now. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when Jesus appears, second advent, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who hopes in that day, everyone who thus hopes in him, purifies himself as he is pure. He goes on, he says, Everyone who makes a habit, a practice of sinning, also practices lawlessness. Sin is not just brokenness, it's rebellion, it's lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins. And in Jesus, there's no sin. So no one who abides in Jesus just goes on, keeps on sinning. No one keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as Jesus is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning since the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a habit, a practice of sinning, for God's seed, the sperma, abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God, right? You have a new spiritual DNA. And then it wraps up. By this it is evident, by this you can tell, Who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor does the one who does not love his brother, his sister. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Isn't John just direct? Oh, man, like shots fired. John is so good. Let's summarize this. He says, you are a child of God now if you believe in Jesus Christ. If you believe in the word of God about Jesus Christ, you are a child of God now, but you are not yet what you will be. It's like, that's great, but you are not yet as great as you will be. You are not yet what you will be when Jesus Christ appears and finishes his great work of transformation in you. But he says, you better be practicing. (laughs) You better be practicing, purifying yourself as he is pure, right? Because what happens when we're not practicing we start to wonder if we're on the team at all, right? If you're a child of God at all. If you're not showing up to practice, you might not be on the team. So what this passage introduces us to is the truth that as children of God, if we want to grow as children of God, we must be paying very close attention to our walk, to our habits, to our practices. So ask yourself, do you have a habit of sin somewhere in your life that needs to be brought into the light? You have a habit of sin that you tell yourself, yeah, it's not really a big deal. <laughs> it's not really affecting the way that I love the people in my life, right? John says that's the whole thing, that we love one another, and sin robs us of the energy and the ability to love one another well. It's a lie from the devil that it's not really affecting you, that little habit of sin. It's a lie from the devil to keep you from becoming great in the kingdom of God, for maturing as a child of God. I love this quote from Bishop J.C. Rios. Becoming a Christian costs you your sins. You and sin must quarrel if you and God are to be friends. It's Ephesians chapter 5, 1 through 14. Oh, I love Ephesians. Let's go. Okay, therefore, be imitators of your dad. Be imitators of God as beloved children of God. And walk in love, there it is again, right? To love one another. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But, but, here he goes again, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. He's not done. Let there be no foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be gratitude, thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, worshiping false gods, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you. There's that phrase again. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. See that language? Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them like the light does. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that is visible is light. Therefore, and this was a saying, therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's a word for some of you sleeping in here this morning. Awake, O sleeper, all right? So let me ask you again, is there a habit, is there a practice, maybe of sexual immorality that you need to quarrel with, that you need to expose Or it's coveting. The main thing you talk about with your spouse, you know, the cars and the houses and the vacations of others. Speaking of talking, filthy talk and crude joking. Do you have a habit of speaking very differently at work or at school than you do at home or at church? Hypocrisy is no path to greatness in the kingdom of God. Perhaps you imagine that the content that you habitually fill your mind with has no effect on the person that you are becoming. Don't be deceived. said it twice now in God's word. Don't be deceived by empty words how we're all children of God and Grandpa God understands the kids these days. (laughs) Maybe I only thought that was funny. (laughs) Wake up, man. Grow up. Give it up as Christ gave himself up. Just confess it. Confess it. Bring it to the light. Sin can't survive or thrive in the darkness or in the light for very long. You can cast it off. You can cast it off because Jesus Christ has given you something so much greater. It's the right to become a child of God. It's nothing greater. One more. It's my favorite. It's the first verse I ever memorized 20 years ago. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Memorize this 20 years ago. Uh, Didn't start applying it until recently. (laughs) You have a habit of grumbling? Give it up if you want to be great. There's no sin more significant than grumbling. It's not a laughable sin. It grows from a dead heart that loves to pray this prayer, "My will be done," or else I grumble. I I read the other day said men, if you stop complaining, you'll set yourself apart from 98% of other men, which I don't think is a real statistic, but it tracks <laughs> in experience. If you give up grumbling and hidden sexual sins, you're going to be built different. Really. I mean, that's where all your energy to love others well is going. It's just going, right? Give it up. Give it up. Give it up. This is not a guilt trip, by the way. (laughs) Greatness is far more effective than guilt. A vision of greatness. You, You have been given the authority. The right, it's not a suggestion, to become a child of God, a man of God, a woman of God. Give up the grumbling. It's not becoming. Like, you're you're a royal. What are you doing grumbling? You're a child of God. Stop it. You know? It's unbecoming. Kick the habit. One more. Do all things. How many things? All things. All things. Without grumbling or disputing. You have a habit of disputing. You have a habit of arguing. Maybe it's a hidden habit online, you know? No one knows it's you. Give it up. Are you an argumentative spouse? Are you an argumentative family member and it comes up in the holidays? Again, it's it's just, it's unbecoming. Ask the people in your life, you know? Am I a safe person to give feedback to or do I tend to dispute all your claims? They'll tell you. Unless you're really bad, then they won't tell you, okay? So ask a lot of people. Listen, the, the things in the people that we grumble about, the, the people we dispute with, that we want to get defensive with, those are usually like, just treat them like Christ. Like they're, they're usually the greatest people in your life for forming you into maturity. Don't resist his hand. So friend, you, you are a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, by a gift of the Holy Spirit, not by works, not by earning. You are a, you are a child of God by faith, And you've been given the right, the authority, to become a child of God. Again, by faith. By faith, by believing, by surrendering. The Holy Spirit of God is in you. And that is power. That's power to make you shine like a light in the world, as Philippians says. Not only can you, but you've been given the right to become a person of love and joy and peace and power and gratitude and great sacrifice. He began a good work in you, and boy, he intends to finish it. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He wants to make you great in his kingdom. But we settle for a cherished little sin habit, don't we? We settle. And one day, one day we will see the horror of what we have settled for instead of glory instead of God, instead of Christ, instead of the kingdom. And it will either be like waking up from a bad dream, it will be the greatest relief of your life, or it will be the greatest horror, a living nightmare, because what you clung to now clings to you. So let's wake up. Let's wake up. You've been given the right to become a child of God. Let's confess our sins together now and take communion. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your powerful word Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Your word says that you gladly give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks. We don't have to have all the words perfectly right. We simply have to ask. Ask, Lord, save me. Lord, save me from this sin habit. Save me from this life of wandering. Save me from my hypocrisy, Lord. Teach us as a community to walk in the light. We love you, Lord, and we give this time of worship now to you. In Jesus' name, amen.